Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 279, and this evening we will see how the fire responds to Gandalf's cordial invitation to introduce itself uh, to the Gowerhoth here uh, on top of the hill. So, um, uh, just a quick reminder for folks, uh, we are in the middle of moot season here, which is very exciting. Um, we just had Middle Moot this past weekend out in Iowa, which was delightful. Um, and then this coming weekend, we are having our moot here, the one that is local to me uh, here in New Hampshire. Um, it is New England moot time and the lovely fall foliage. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be looking at, yes, perilous realms and haunted spaces is the theme of uh, this moot. It's our Halloween themed uh, moot. Um, so, uh, 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 New England moot, uh, always uh, something I look forward to every year, bunch of people traveling up for this one. Uh, so that should be, um, uh, so that should be, that should be delightful. JJ says the less lo lovely fall traffic. That's true. Uh, that's true though. If you avoid certain roads, it's not so bad. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah, so we're, um, uh, we're going to be getting together here in New Hampshire this coming weekend. Then in two weeks after that, we'll be headed out to Denver for Mountain Moot, uh, our second Mountain Moot um, in, uh, in, the, in the Mile High City. It was really funny. So uh, <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, the upcoming moots um, as I was leaving um, Iowa. And I, I drove out of Iowa because, you know, out of Waterloo, Iowa, which is where the moot was, um, because I rented a car and drove down from a larger airport, which was a faster way to get there. So anyway, I'm here I am driving through, you know, uh, northeastern Iowa, and I go through the town of Denver, Iowa. And there was a sign outside of Denver, Iowa that said, Welcome to Denver, the mile wide city. <laughs> I was like, OK, that's that's kind of cute. It was like a one intersection town uh, there in uh, in Iowa. So anyway. <laughs> we'll be uh, having <laughs> having uh, the next moot after New England moot uh, in the actual Denver, Colorado, uh, for 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 Mountain Moot, and then um, after that in December we have Bayou Moot down in New Orleans for the first time. Um, so uh, uh, so that'll be great. Then next things are just exploding this coming uh, this coming spring. Um, not only do we have Osmoot down in Australia and Sydney, Australia at the end of January and Sunshine Moot again in February, but we've got we've got a whole bunch of others. Those are the ones that are uh, open for registration right now. We have a whole bunch of others whose dates are just being settled um, and uh, we should be able to open registration for before too long. We're looking at uh, a whole bunch of possibilities that we're ironing out the final details for. Um, Looking to head back to Southern California. Looking to head back to Texas, of course. Um, looking to uh, um, head back to England again, um, which will be great. Up to Canada, new part of Canada. Uh, and um, uh, also, we're going to be down in the Carolinas again before too long. That one might not be until the fall. but uh, And we're also talking about something pretty cool in uh, Ohio again before too long. So, yep, Jedi, it's happening. Ohio, we're going to be returning to Ohio, in fact. Uh, Sunshine Moot is near Orlando, Jackie. Um, uh, not in Orlando itself, but not too far uh, from it. So, 
Um, and Bob, uh, Alberta, uh, Canada is what we're um, uh, is what we're is what we're thinking about there. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amareya, yes, I got to I got to uh, uh, record a a TikTok <laughs> with you with your friend Casey. That was fun. That was fun. Yes, he uh, he mentioned you. Uh, that was that was that was cool. Um, but um, anyhow. Um, really, really, really fun things uh, forthcoming here um, in that we're going to we may have as many as about six moots in a four month period there in the spring. So, as I say, we're, we're, we're sorting everything out, you know, deciding when uh, when to fit everything into the calendar. Once that's settled, we'll open registration and there will be a, a whole bunch of um, of new moots coming up and some other exciting things. So stay tuned for that um, now. And also, don't forget, um, I've also been mentioning in about a week and a half on the 28th of October, we're going to be doing our Fall Space Showcase, um, showcasing a bunch of our upcoming modules in our space program. Really, really cool stuff there. Amy Sturgis is coming to uh, to do a space capsule with us in the uh, in the the fall showcase, and she'll be teaching several modules uh, coming up. She's doing all kinds of really fun contemporary stuff. If you want to, uh, you know, follow some of the exciting new things that that Amy Sturgis is tracking with and uh, and teaching about, it's going to be really cool. All right, um, so. Um, uh, many fun things coming up here soon. Let's get back to our hilltop where Gandalf was just um, having his conversation with the fire at the end of last time. There was a roar and a crackle, and the tree above him burst into a leaf and bloom of blinding flame. The fire leapt from treetop to treetop. The whole hill was crowned with dazzling light. The swords and knives of the defenders shone and flickered. The last arrow of Legolas kindled in the air as it flew and plunged burning into the heart of a great wolf chieftain. All the others fled. Slowly the fire died till nothing was left but falling ash and sparks. A bitter smoke curled above the, burning, the burned tree stumps and blew darkly from the hill as the first light of dawn came dimly in the sky. Their enemies were routed and did not return. "'What did I tell you, Mr. Pippin?' said Sam, sheathing his sword. "'Wolves won't get him.' That was an eye-opener, and no mistake. Nearly singed the hair off my head. Um, Stun duck, I agree. The, um, the dramatic effect of the final arrow catching fire in midair uh, is, uh, is, is very striking. And Silk Westkin, you are right that the alliteration fest continues. Um, absolutely. There are some that really jump out right away at first reading, right? Um like bloom of blinding flame, for instance. Um, uh, the uh, smoke that blew darkly as the dawn came dimly. Uh, the the enemies were routed and did not return. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes. I will say, though... It doesn't feel as intrusive. It didn't it didn't sound to me as intrusive as the as the alliteration is in that earlier passage, um, the one 
before the description of the fight, before Gandalf um, stoops like a cloud and uh, has his conversation with the flames. Um, it's there. It's definitely there. Um, I'm, but I'm trying to think of the... the effect that it has here. The, like how the the sound of the um, how the sounds of the words are being deployed here. The whole hill, yes, yes, you're right. Silk Westcott, yes. Um, Slowly the fire died till nothing was left but falling ash and sparks. A bitter smoke curled above the burned tree stumps and blew darkly from the hill as the first light of dawn came dimly in the sky. Their enemies were routed and did not return. It's... Notice how there's... It's sort of... Um, things are sort of grouped like that. Um, slowly the fire died till nothing was left but falling ash and sparks. A bitter smoke curled above the burned tree stumps and blew darkly from the hill as the first light of dawn came dimly in the sky. Notice how it kind of like it, it starts with that first clause that's framed with the S's slowly and sparks with ash right there at the end. Um, and then uh, and then we get the bees, bitter, burned, blue, there in the middle, with the smoke and the tree stumps still lingering from the S's before. And then it transitions into the D's, right? Blue darkly, dawn dimly. Um, yeah, yeah. I just love the way that he... Um, Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even sure how how to describe it, but I'm gonna really enjoy looking at the way in which, again, the more the more we notice these things, man. I bet you you would notice a whole lot of this back earlier in the book as well if we went back and and now that we have started noticing this, right? Um, I think I have always underestimated the way that Tolkien shapes the overall sound of his sentences and paragraphs. Um, that he has a remarkable ear for the, the sound and music of, of language and words um, is, um, I mean, that's, that I've, you know, I've always known that, I've always respected that about Tolkien. But I'm feeling like I've always underestimated it. Um, uh, yeah, feeling like I've always underestimated it. Um, yeah, I love the audiobook too, Jackie. But I, most of this, I never, I never heard, I never noticed, even in audio form, because in order to really feel it, there again, there are places where it intrudes itself, like the, you know. It, again, it doesn't. It, it would take a lot to miss fling fuel on the fire, for instance. But, um, 
uh, you know, and, and we talked about that. That whole passage was is, is very intrusive or obtrusive, that um, uh, the alliteration there. Here it's much more subtle, and I never noticed anything like this before, but you can see how he's, um, uh, how he's shaping it, trying to understand better the techniques he uses, the different kind of patterns that he employs. That would be really cool. But yeah, I think I've always underestimated it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, Matt, I think you're right. Um, Matt says it's uh, it's an, there's an interesting contrast to Robert Frost's stu uh, stopping by woods, um, which tries to capture the onomatopoeia of the falling snow. Here, the description of the fire seems to resist that. There's nothing after crackled. It's almost as if he is heightening the strangeness of the magic by making it different from the crackling sound of flame. Yes, he doesn't go for an onomatopoetic effect. I agree. Um, yes. Yes. Instead, notice what he does. Notice what he does instead with the fire. Instead of instead of manipulating the sounds, what he does is he continues with the imagery. Remember all those similes, um, the like lightning and like cloud and like the um, what was it? Oh, hang on. I think I moved it all the way down to the bottom again. Um, the um, Gandalf rising up a great menacing shape like the monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. Remember that, right? Remember the monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. Now, um, back to our passage tonight. He doesn't do, instead of those like um, similes, right, we get, um, we get metaphors. There was a roar and a crackle, description of the sounds, as Matt was pointing out. And the tree above him burst into a leaf and bloom of blinding flame. We get a metaphor, right? The flame uh, blooms and bursts out like leaves coming out of their, their buds. Like blooms, right? Like blossoms opening up on the tree, right? These great blossoms of flame. But I'm using the word like. Uh, drawing, because I'm drawing attention to the to the to the comparison, right? But that's not how he does it. He does it as a metaphor, not as a simile. Um, and there's a there's a further step to that, right? When you use the word like we talked about this a little bit last time, when you use an actual comparison word, you're drawing attention to the comparison, right? You're telling them what he did. Gandalf bent down to pick up the stick, right? And now I'm going to tell you what that was like, what it felt like, what it seemed like um, to be there and, and, and to, 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 to prompt your imagination, right? Gandalf doesn't just bend over to get a stick. He stoops like a cloud. He is like a thunderstorm about to burst is what the sense of Gandalf's presence there was like. But we don't get that here. Here we just get metaphor. When the flames burst out, they don't consume the tree. I mean, they do eventually consume the tree, but it's not like they're consuming the tree. It's not like the tree itself catches fire. It's like the fire bursts out of the tree. The fire bursts out 
of the branches and twigs of the tree. There is a sudden leaf and bloom of blinding flame. The fire leapt from treetop to treetop. The whole hill was crowned with dazzling light. <clears throat> Ahsoka Wesket, you're right. There's the second simile. Crowned. The whole hill was crowned with dazzling light. Um, so first the fire is a leaf and a bloom. And now the fire, when the fire has uh, leapt to every tree on the treetop, it is now a crown on the hill. Um, now the hill itself is a king of stone. And we were talking a little bit about that, the peculiarity of that phrase, right? I think, as we said last time, that the, 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 the actual image, the, the, the sort of literal image being described there is a statue of a king, right? That you'd call a king of stone. However, um, in the end, it's the stone itself, it's the stony hill itself that is crowned like a king, crowned with flame, right? Um, but again, no simile straight to metaphor, right? The flame isn't just kind of like a crown. The flame is a crown. The flames are leaves and blooms bursting forth uh, from the tree. Uh, they are they are more they metaphors that is are more direct in this way. And of course, this, as we will see, you know, not too long from now, is what leads to the whole Balrog wing problem, right? When Tolkien as narrator shifts from simile, where he begins, to metaphor, um, where he stops saying what the shadow is like and instead just says it is something. Um, that's, uh, that's the same thing that we get, that we get here. Um, and I agree, Bjorning, it, 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 uh, the word crowned, um, it does add to Gandalf's stature in this moment, right? Um, and I would notice also, th these poor trees are giving it up, right, for this defense, um, we're going to be told that a bitter smoke is curling above the burned tree stumps um, after this. Um, this, is, uh, this is destructive, right? Um, and um, these poor trees have had it. Um, but Gandalf is not depicted in the moment of the flame coming out. It's not depicted as an act of destruction. It's depicted first as an act of growth and then as an act of majesty, right? The crowning of the hill. Um, and, um, and yes, yeah, I agree. Gandalf does seem to keep the fire from spreading beyond the immediate area. Well, Ambrosius, he gave it instructions where, what it, where it was supposed to go, what it was supposed to do, right? It was supposed to burn the Gowerhoth and it did. It did. He didn't say head off across the landscape, right? Um, it was supposed to save them, you know, to rescue them and uh, and introduce itself to the Gowerhoth. And and it did. Right. Um, but again, the even though we know 
that the fire is there as a weapon, right? It is there against their enemies. Um, you know, it is there damned in Gaurhoth. Um, it, um, it's, again, it's not described as a weapon. Um, what Gandalf brings forth is, is beautiful, is organic, and is majestic. It's like that not only, uh, not only the, um, the hill itself is crowned with a crown, right? That he, he, he brings this majesty. Again, remember, remember those stones, right? These stones longing for the elves who were gone, for the glory that the elves brought to them, for the majesty um, of the elvish constructions of the elder days, right? Or at least of the middle days, um, of, you know, back in the Aregian days. Um, and how the stones lament their passing, right? Um, Gandalf, in this moment, helps this hill and these stones to recover its majesty, right? That's what he brings out here on this hilltop. That's what his fire does. And even the trees who are killed, right? Even these trees who are burned down to stumps by uh, uh, by Gandalf's apparently very hot fire. Um, even they have this final glorious moment, right? Like they, you know, trees bring forth leaf and they bring forth blooms and these trees brought forth the most brilliant and glorious leaf and bloom that any tree around here ever had, right? And they also um uh you know have their have their moment even though there is destruction with them um it's um it's a big deal here yeah yeah it is a blaze of glory oh maria fair enough um yeah yeah so um yeah jj i think that's right um it's not that the trees are getting, like, their life isn't getting snuffed out. It's being used up all in one moment. Yes. Yes. It is almost like, you know, in bringing forth the flames, it's like they're bringing forth all the leaves and blooms all at once, right? All of the, the beauty and the glory that they ever would have had all now, um, you know, sort of gathered together in one, in one place. But, Charles, I agree. Um the words describing the aftermath, it's still, it's dark. A bitter smoke curled above the burned tree stumps and blew darkly from the hill. Um, it's, that's not a happy image. Um, there's still a cost here, right? Um, bitter, um, bitter's an interesting word here. Um, here's an interesting question when we use the word bitter we only really use the word bitter in two senses right um, we use it of tastes like a thing that tastes bitter and we use it of emotions right um when we describe someone as 
being bitter about something, right? Um, Tolkien, when he uses the word bitter, rarely uses it in either of those senses. Um, bitter, cold, yes, Nancy, you're right. People will still use the word bitter about cold. Though it's kind of a dead metaphor to most people. That is, um, people don't know what that means. What does it mean? When you say the cold is bitter, why do you use the word bitter? What, what is the metaphor of there? Yeah, it's sharp. In, exactly. Sharp. Um, it's when it's bitter cold is when it's so cold that it feels like being stabbed in the chest when you breathe at, when you breathe in outside. Um, that's, that's, um, that's what the metaphor is when you call cold bitter. Um, remember Tolkien used the word bitter this way in the Valaquenta when he talked about um, considering not just um, the greatness of the Valar, but their sharpness, right? And how if you have, um, you know, a, a peak as broad in its base, right, as Olivarda, and then until it uh, and then it, it, it diminishes down until its point is more bitter than 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 a needle, right? Um, bitter, sharp, extremely, extremely pointy, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Tolkien uses the word bitter in that sense. Um, a, a bitter smoke, I think he's describing how it smells here. It's it's sharp. It's, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think that it is, yes, sharp and acrid, the smoke. Yes. Um, uh, is, I think, what he's describing in calling the smoke a bitter smoke. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think... He's, um, I don't think he's describing the taste. Yes, you can kind of taste smoke. Um, does he? It'd be fun to do a little word study. I'm not going to get into it right here, but it would be fun to do a word study. I'm thinking of, um, oh, darn it, I'm forgetting his name. The guy who did, um, his presentation at, uh, Cascade Moot about the, um, the wonderful... Uh, Tolkien thesaurus he had done. Or we could do it, um, uh, we could do it, let's see, hang on. All right, hang on, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it. Okay. Hang on. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go to Search Tolkien from James Tower's Digital Tolkien Project. Here we go. And let's make it big. Okay. And let's look up the word bitter. Where does he use it in the Lord of the Rings? Okay. Oh, we just got it in chapter two. Oh, we 
get it twice here. Oh. Hang on now. I don't think... We're not going to get it again. Huh. Hmm. Did we just get it before? Oh, hang on. I gotta go check now. Gotta go check back again. I don't think we got bitter here. Yeah, the parting of Elrond and, Ar and Arwen is described as bitter. Yes, it's a bitter parting. Yes. Yes. And, um, Druid's Fire, if you think about that, um, if you think about that, well, oh, I'm sorry. Here, I'm thinking, we're not in Chapter 3, of course. We're actually finally finished with Chapter 3. So we got two of them up in, up in Karathras. And then we get, we get three here in this chapter. Yeah, it's all over the place right here. That's really interesting. Um, okay, Boromir talked about the bitter cold in the mountain pass. Yes, I was thinking that's probably what the Karathras ones were about. Um, yeah. I, I think, again, when we're thinking about the bitter parting... Um, Again, I think what that what that points to, what that suggests, is sharpness. Again, um, their parting it's 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 like a stabbing pain. Um, interesting. Okay. Anyway, I will. I'm not going to get distracted. Okay. Um, very good. Yes, Kalaros. Thank you. Yes. Uh, sooner or later, Rivendell will be besieged, and after a brief and bitter time, it will be destroyed. That's a very interesting one. After a brief and bitter time. Um... Many hopes will wither in this bitter spring. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yes. Um. Ah. In Mordor, the air as it seemed to them grew harsh and filled with a bitter reek that caught their breath and parched their mouths. That, I think, is similar to the bitter smoke here. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. No, no, no. And this is me not getting distracted. This is what not getting distracted looks like, Kurtzmas. Getting distracted would mean spending the whole next hour on this. Um, uh, yeah. Um, right. Sam, uh, right. Sheob thrusts herself on a bitter spike. Yeah. Yeah. That one is the one of the most, uh, one of the simplest ones. Right. Um, uh, on a very pointy <laughs> spike. Right. Um yeah. No, that's 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 all really um, that's all really good stuff. Um, 
But yeah, Almaria, I don't think... I'm not sure that even metaphorically bitter is ever talking about taste. It does seem to be always bad. Um, yeah. Bjarnasoner says it seems like bitter is used primarily to indicate pain somehow. Well, yeah. Yeah. Again, like being stabbed primarily. Um, and I think we were talking, uh, I, I mean, so I guess talking about the connection between bitter and bite. Um, and uh, even thinking of how Tolkien will also use the word bite to describe a stab or a stab wound, right? Like its bite is deep, for instance. Um, uh, so, yeah, it does. A lot of the bitterness seems to be about stabbing, but not entirely. Um, not all of it. Um, like Gandalf describing his days as bitter when he was on the top of Orthanc. Or when he talks about many hopes withering in this bitter spring. Um, I think there's something else there. Not just, again, not just stabbing. Um, a lot of it, I think, can be explained by stabbing and by pointy things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the many things withering in that bitter spring is I'm thinking this is me bringing it back to this passage here. What we're seeing in that um, paragraph is the aftermath. Um, slowly the fire died till nothing was left but falling ash and sparks. A bitter smoke curled above the burned tree stumps and blew darkly from the hill as the first light of dawn came dimly in the sky. Um, nothing is left but falling ash and sparks. Nothing left of the fire, but nothing's left of the trees either. Um, this really... Well... Um working in my book on chapter two of book one, that is the shadows of the past. And, um, this is just kind of connecting for me with some things I've been thinking about there. Um, Gandalf, Gandalf does things, right? Gandalf, um, Gandalf often has to make hard choices. We talked about this a bit. Um, his threatening to torture Gollum with fire in order to make him talk. Um, that is, Gandalf was very close to a pretty serious means and ends dilemma there. Um, another one, of course, presents itself back in the shadow of the past when he, um, I mean, of course, the putting the fear of fire in Gollum presents itself there too. Um, but even around the entire um, uh, 
around the entire Frodo situation, right? When Frodo is pushing him, Gandalf, confronting him with the fact that uh, Gandalf has known for years, or at least heavily suspected for years, that Frodo's ring, the ring that Gandalf knew Frodo was possessing and guarding, was enormously dangerous and would do great harm to its possessor, and he never even told him. Um, Frodo pushes Gandalf about this several times. He asks him, how long have you known this? And he has to ask him three times before Gandalf will finally come clean about that. Um, he knew that there was a risk. He admits that he knew um, uh, that um, that he was taking a risk and that he was taking a risk with Frodo's safety. Um, but that there hadn't been any alternative, right? Gandalf... Um, we, we see Gandalf often in places where there isn't simply a clean victory. Yes, Abord, that's exactly right. Um, you're exactly right about where and how he's deflecting there. You know, known? I still do not know, all right, you might say. I, you know, yes, he deflects. He doesn't just come out and say from the beginning, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, I've known for, I've known for more than a decade. I just, I just didn't say anything because, you know, I thought that risking your safety was the safest gamble I could make." Basically, I mean, it's in the end, that's what it, that's what it, that's what it comes down to, um, and um, it was, it was hard, right. It was, uh, um, Gandalf had to make a hard call. He describes in his own words having to make a hard call with Gollum, right? In the end, I had to be harsh. I put the fear of fire on him. Um, why? Because the truth was desperately important. Again, see what I mean by the means and ends thing, right? Um, yes. Does the end justify the means? That's a slippery slope, right? That is a... Whenever you catch yourself saying that the ends justify... The, these means are not good. They're not pleasant, right? This is something I, I shouldn't do, but it's justified by how important the end is, Right? That's one of the biggest red flags in Tol Tolkien's entire, you know, moral economy, right? Um, and that's, um, uh, it's hard. Again, so I just want, as I say, I've been, I've been thinking about the uh, complicated places that Gandalf finds himself. Um, Gandalf does not, I think, in, in some ways completely come away clean from these things. Not saying Gandalf is bad, but I'm just saying, like, this is, uh, there's, uh, there, there, there are real issues here. Um, 
with both of those two things that happened there in the uh, in the shadow of the past. Um, and even here, this is not, he's not done anything wrong, um, but um, he did just kill all those trees, right? Um, was it worth it? Did the ends justify the means? Did he regret, you know, um, again, remember how the ends were part of the spell that he did, right? This was not just Gandalf casting fireball, which has a certain area of effect, uh, and uh, therefore anybody caught within the radius was going to get burned. Um, that wasn't this, right? Um, the ends fire for the saving of us was part of the spell. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Vardendil, you're right. Frodo accepts the necessity and forgives Gandalf pretty much immediately. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Now, I'm not trying to make more of that than it is. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Bjorning, I also agree with you that we can see differences in Gandalf's choices. I'm not at all lumping him into the Saruman category. Um, the ends that he is trying to achieve are different, and even the means that he's using are different, right? It's, it's uh, not at all the same thing. Um, and yet, it, we do see Gandalf in a... Um, caught in very complicated moral choices. Um, part of the reason I bring this up is that, again, like the next time you hear uh, one of those fools say that Tolkien's characters are all completely black or completely white, uh, you can talk about this. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, anyway, um, he... Uh, <laughs> that middle paragraph in this passage does sound to me like um, it's a little there's a little requiem for the trees here right um, trees were harmed in the defense of this hill um, we see an aftermath of destruction and it's it's bitter and it's dark um, again, I'm not trying to paint it too black here. I'm not saying that Gandalf has done something really, really bad. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> JJ says, trees are the new ponies. Okay, right. Now that he's decided that, uh, you know... No ponies will be harmed in the Lord of the Rings, right? To make amends for the uh, the equine uh, mortality of, uh, of 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 the Hobbit. Um, now it's trees, right? That are uh, that are that are that are taking the fall, as it were. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll get that right now. Remember, Gandalf is going to be called later on by Treebeard. One of the only wizards who really cares about trees. Um, so my point isn't that Gandalf has done something heartless and horrible. Um, yeah. But um, if Treebeard only knew. 
That's right. They think he confessed. Yeah, April, I, I agree. It is almost a martyrdom, right? I mean, these trees died heroes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Amareo was also saying that it, it was it's it feels like the trees were willing participants. Yes, yes. Um, um, yeah, yeah. They, it's the hill that's crowned with glory, April, but they are the crown. The trees make the crown. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, it's again, Gildala, when I agree, back to that metaphor of the leaf and bloom, right? It's like the, that's the way, Johannes, in which uh, that's, I think, what leads to this sense that the trees are participating, that the flames are not something outside that, it, that is attacking the trees, but it's like something that which comes from within, like leaf, like leaves and blooms. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the the way in which it, it doesn't feel simply like um, Gandalf has like thrown fire at the at the trees, right? Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting, Corey. It was crowned with a knot of old and twisted trees, we were told before. Um, so they, um, they go out in a blaze of glory, right? These are twisted and old trees. Um, twisted and old trees that have, uh, already seen their best days, Right. And they're restored for this one moment to this like blazing youth, right, of leaf and bloom. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, again, I don't think the my point about the death of the trees is not that it, is not that and nor my other comparisons to Gandalf's other actions isn't necessarily to say that I think that Gandalf has done something immoral here in burning the trees um i it is that um there i think that this whole again this whole center this dark bitter um even notice how i mean we're talking about the fire dying Right, but I mean, the word death is right there, right? Slowly the fire died, and the fire isn't all that's dying, right? Slowly the fire died till nothing was left but falling ash and sparks. And you can overlook it, right? That is, normally, you wouldn't even think, like when there was a huge fire, and then the fire died away and ash is falling, um, normally your focus is on the fire and maybe relief that the fire has died down, right? Um but um uh but the 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 ash something has like you almost when there's if there's falling ash after a big sudden fire you're not usually asking like but where did the ash come from right the ash is like the you know the corpse of those trees right um so we segue from the falling ash and sparks and we get more, the bitter smoke, the burned tree stumps, right? The smoke that blew darkly from the hill. 
as the first light of dawn comes. So uh, the smoke which passes with the night, right, as the light of day comes in. Um, yeah. Yeah, Samwise, I agree. The crown of flame on the hill, uh, the trees, the burning trees forming the crown of flame on the hill um, is very like in its way. It doesn't It's not given the same narrative significance, of course, but it's very like um, the crown of flowers, uh, the crown of blossoms, right, that... Um, uh, that blooms on the forehead of the the, the stone king um, at the crossroads. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's true. I know that some trees need fire to release their seeds. Um, yes, I know that that kind of thing can happen, that fire can be beneficial. I don't feel like this new this middle paragraph is asking us to think that way, though. Um, uh, this again, this this feels like a little tree funeral, right here. Um, but I think, I think the, um, um, I think the trees, uh, I think the, I think the trees died heroes here. Bjorn, I think I agree. Um, uh, it talks about there being a finality to, um, you know, the enemy was routed and did not return. Um, there's a finality there. The deed is done, the consequence accepted. Um, but the good outcome was not without cost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, it's not... Um, this paragraph... Yeah. It helps us to see that. I think that we do. again. It's it's uh, it's not to say that the burning of the trees the trees the burning of the trees isn't wrong, but it's not the, also not that the burning of the trees didn't matter, right? Um, and uh, uh, and we we note it, we remember it here. Um, and yes, Bjorning, I agree with you again um, that. Uh, the sobering nature of the middle paragraph almost robs us of the elation of victory. We can't just cheer and party that the battle was won. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's the, that paragraph gives us the note there at the end. Think of what would happen if we didn't have that, right? What if we just went straight from the swords and knives of the defenders shone and flickered. The last arrow of Legolas kindled in the air as it flew and plunged burning into the heart of a great wolf chieftain. All the others fled. What did I tell you, Mr. Pippin, said Sam, sheathing his sword. Wolves won't get him. That was an eye-opener and no mistake. Nearly singed the hair off my head. Hear that? Totally different, right? Totally different effect when we don't get that very somber paragraph. And notice also how Tolkien's syntax itself creates that emphasis. Um, that last, that middle paragraph, it's almost all one sentence. One long, complicated sentence. Slowly the fire died till nothing was left but falling ash and sparks, semicolon. A bitter smoke curled above the burning tree st the burned tree stumps and blew darkly from the hill as the first light of dawn came dimly in the sky. It takes a lot of breath. You have to pause. You have to... When Tolkien wants us to 
move right along, right? When things get really exciting, he uses um, short sentences or short clauses joined together by and, right? Um, he gets all paratactic in that way. When he gets all hypotactic, which is what this kind of syntax is, long, complicated, compound, complex sentences, um, this is much, it's much slower, right? It, as I say, it almost forces us, um, it almost forces us to slow down. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Johannes trees don't normally burn to a stump like that. Um, certainly not as quickly as this seems as this seems to do. Um, this is abnormal. Um, uh, either, Valoria, as you were suggesting, these trees are completely toast, right? Like these trees are almost completely dead already. Um, old and, um, what was the? Twisted. That was the other adjective. Old and twisted trees. Either they're already almost, you know, dry as a bone, like kindling, um, or the fire was really, really hot. Right. Um, and no, an arrow wouldn't catch flame from an ordinary fire either, Emily. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it could very likely, could very possibly be both. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, Kalos, it's not quite the near ninth Arboread, but, um, you know, <laughs> it's still, I agree, it's still pretty sad there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Adrian, you're right. It's a very controlled burn. Very controlled. Yes, it really is. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, is it significant that the fire dies naturally? Uh, yeah, well, the, fi the fire did its job, right? Remember, it had two jobs. To save, to rescue them, and to introduce itself to the Gowerhof, right? It did both of those things, and then it was done. Um, uh, it's like the fire is showing restraint here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kendall, you're right. Also, it is another example of Sauron's servants not loving fire. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it? That this is indeed the second time that we have seen fire used when the good guys have been surrounded and attacked by the servants of Sauron. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Um, did you notice... I think something else happened in the first paragraph that I'd never really processed before. One word in that paragraph jumped out at me. Um, the word knives. The swords and knives of the defenders shone and flickered. See what that implies? I think that's, I think a new thing just happened there when the fire leapt from treetop to treetop. 
Yeah, I think I think the hobbits are fighting here for the first time. Um the very first time, that is with the twanging of Legolas's bow and the death of that first captain, you'll remember. Um the hobbits did bar- could even barely process what was happening. The description in the big alliteration passage. Um, Gandalf tells them to fling fuel on the fire and then stand back to back. Um, uh, but um, there's no sense of their actually engaging in the melee. Um, what is described is, you know, that's when, of course, we get the description of the thrusting through the throat of uh, the, uh, you know, one uh, wolf chieftain. Um, Boromir lopping the head off another one, the stout uh, stoutness of Gimli's legs as he stands there with his axe, uh, Legolas' singing bow, all of those things, right? Um, and um, uh, now we get Hobbit. Well, I don't know, it could just be... Um, they could just be holding them, it's true, that they have drawn their weapons is explicit, we can tell because Sam is going to sheathe his sword at the end of this passage, right? So we know that they had their knives, their hobbits, little hobbit swords um, in their hands, uh, but we don't know. And I, it's definitely not Legolas because Legolas is still shooting here. Um, it will also be clear at Helm's Deep that Legolas only uses his knife um he uses his knife when the enemy comes in too close, but also when he's when he's uh, uh, lost his arrows, right? When he, when he's when he's out of arrows, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah. So are they using their knives? Are they fighting? Um, the mere fact that they're lumped in, that they are counted, the hobbits are being counted among the defenders, instead of just being the ones who are being defended, which is what we saw earlier, right? Um, <clears throat> them, uh, you know, the narrator gave us the sense from the description, right, of these wide hobbit eyes staring out at the battle that's unfolding all around them. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Right. Why is it so? Why is it? Why are they called knives in that first paragraph? If it's called a sword, when Sam sheaths it later on, I think it's all about the perspective there. I don't think it necessarily means that it's an interesting theory that it's Findegil's king, that it is a Findegil king's writer, right? Who is sort of specifying that up there? Um, no, I think it's about the point of view, generally, right? Um, that is the fire and the defenders are being described like from outside, right? From a distance. Um, the point of view of the, of the narrative here has kind of backed off and we're seeing this. And when you're seeing all of them together, right? Aragorn and Boromir and the hobbits all with blades in their hands. Gimli has his axe, but that's different. Um, you know, when you're, when you're looking at them all, you're not just going to look at Boromir's sword and Aragorn's sword and the hobbits with their little swords and just call them all swords, right? So he says swords and knives when you're looking at it, you know, from a distance here, from the outside. Um, But when you're just 
Sam and Pippin in conversation again. To Sam, it's definitely a sword, right? Um, and so he is, uh, he is, when, when Sam sheaths it while in conversation with another hobbit, it's definitely a sword. Um, but um, when you see it, when you see them all with their weapons in hand from a distance, they are, uh, um, they are swords and knives. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Green Great Dragon, it is fun to think of the, uh, the, the futures that lie in store for, uh, uh, several of those, of those blades. Um, Bill Huggins, there's no evidence that Gandalf did draw Glamdring, which is really interesting, isn't it? Um, no. We didn't see Gandalf participate in any way until he stoops like a cloud and picks up the burning stick. Um, I would gather from that that Gandalf believes that, or say it the other way, that Gandalf does not seem to believe that um, swords are the way to go here. Um, I, I'm not sure if, yes, Glamdring is going to be named um, and is going to get involved at different points, but um, but not here. Not here. Um, yeah. It is no part of Gandalf's plan here to draw his sword and fight. Um, we'll we'll see about that. What this suggests to me is that it will be interesting when Gandalf does draw his sword. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's a really interesting question, Vardendale. Do we know that the light on the swords and knives was reflected? Well, look, luminous swords, even flames bursting from swords, not unknown. And we will have reasons to, um, we'll, we'll see that kind of thing. But it's an interesting point. The, the swords and knives of the defenders shone and, shone and flickered. I mean, it is on the one hand, it seems clear that it's describing the reflection of the light on their shining blades. But at the same time, that the, the fire seems itself almost like to, you know, animate on their weapons, at least in some kind of metaphorical sense, right? Um, that seems to be, I mean, it literally happens to Legolas's arrow, right? That Legolas's arrow is kindled in the air as it flew, right? Um, and so does fire as well as piercing damage to the wolf that uh, uh, the great wolf chieftain um, that it pierces. 
that is the the power of the flames which is attacking uh, the Gaurhoth at Gandalf's polite request um, is lending its strength to Legolas's arrow explicitly. Would it be doing so more um, uh, uh, would it be doing so more I don't know sort of indirectly, metaphorically um, yeah yeah um and no, Green Great Dragon, we have no reason to think there are orcs nearby, and therefore um, no native luminosity coming from Sting or from Glamdring, if Glamdring were, uh, were drawn there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Maureen, I think it does include Frodo. Um, I think they're all... I mean, all we get is plural knives, right? But I think, uh, I think it probably does include Frodo. Um, yeah, yeah. You're right, Aird, that it is true that where the warg howls, there also the orc prowls. Um, but apparently not in the immediate vicinity, um, as we don't get any blue weapons here. Um, but again, that's not the purpose. It's not the point here as well. Um, is there a sense in which... Like, I believe what is being described there with the shining and flickering of their weapons... Um, is the reflection of the light. Like, that's the literal description. Does it imply that the fire has, in some sense, touched their weapons, or at least it has the appearance of that? Um, I, I think that that impression is definitely intended. Again, it's, it's made explicit outward and fully literal in the case of, uh, of Legolas's arrow. Yes. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Um, it's, uh, it's getting late, but let's end with looking at Sam's comments. Um, Sam triumphantly says, I told you so, to Pippin, whose heart was right down in his shoes, right? Um, what did I tell you, Mr. Pippin? Wolves won't get him. Another delightful memory of uh, the narrator telling us that the wolves were just about to get Gandalf uh, in uh, back in the Hobbit. Um, but um, right, yes, heart down in his shoes. That's right. That's right. Um, wolves won't get him. That was an eye opener, and no mistake, nearly singed the hair off my head. Um, I think. So remember, um, remember that Sam, Sam is making a reference to an earlier conversation. He's quoting himself. Um, no, he's quoting Bilbo. He's quoting Bilbo. Remember when that phrase was, um, um, when that phrase was used? Ha, <laughs> Jackie, you're right. Jackie, going back to the Are the Hobbits Wearing Boots discussion. With Pippin talking about his shoes. Yeah. My heart's right down in my shoes would be a rather peculiar uh, idiom to be used by somebody who had never worn footwear in his entire life, wouldn't it? There it is, JJ. That's exactly it. 
Bilbo at the beginning of uh, the Ringo South, right after the Council of Elrond ends, when Bilbo and Sam and Frodo and Gandalf are talking with Pippin and Merry, and Pippin and Merry are indignant that they got left out of the Council, Bilbo says, um, you know, well, in response to Pippin asking, what were you all doing in there? Um, when, you know, nothing decided. What were you all doing? You were shut up for hours. And Bilbo says, talking. There was a deal of talk and everyone had an eye opener. Right. And then Gandalf denies uh, uh, that he had an eye opener. Right. Uh, the only real eye openers, as you say, um, were you, Bilbo, and Frodo. And I was the only one not surprised. You remember that uh, that whole conversation? Um in which, yes, Emily, I too don't actually believe Gandalf when he says that he didn't have an eye opener. Um, but in any case, Sam is remembering that conversation. It's to Pippin, the one to whom the eye opener comment was directed by Bilbo, right? And then, you know, sort of snarked on by Gandalf. Pippin, who was also there and remembers the conversation clearly, and knows that Pippin remembers the conversation clearly, says, that was an eye-opener and no mistake, right? You want to talk about eye-openers, right? That's what I'm talking about as an eye-opener. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It does sound like a Hobbit phrase, an eye-opener. Um, uh, Gandalf's drawing attention to it. The only eye-openers, as you call them, you know, were, were you and Frodo. Um, it does sound like he is uh, he is quoting uh, a clearly Hobbit idiom there, um, a gafferism possibly. Well, yeah, it's Bilbo. It's Bilbo who says it first. Um, but um, um, but yes, Maureen, I was pretty sure that that was the only other time the word eye opener was used in the book. Um, Yeah, <laughs> Graham, I agree. Gandalf is doing finger quotes when he says "eye opener." Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's clearly he's clearly quoting it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I agree, JJ. It does seem an odd thing to reference so many weeks after the fact. I agree, I agree. But I think that he is. Um, It's very interesting that again, it's it's. Um, um, I don't think he's necessarily. Um, I don't lean too heavily on that. It's not that I think that Sam is like explicitly recalling to Pippin that moment, um, that like his use of the word eye opener would mean nothing other to Pippin than a recollection of that earlier conversation. Again, I, 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 it clearly is a Hobbit expression, and Sam may well just be using a Hobbit ex the, the Hobbit expression because it fits. Um, but, um, but the way that he does it, that was an eye-opener and no mistake, right? Um, here's the way it feels to me relevant to the earlier usage. Remember, Pippin was afraid of being left out. We're not afraid of being left. Well, he was afraid he was going to get left out and be left behind. Um, and remember, that too is what he was just recalling, that um, uh, he shouldn't he, he shouldn't even be here, right? That, uh, um, you know, Elrond had, hadn't, you know, he had insisted on coming and now he feels useless uh, and ashamed uh, because he's so afraid. Remember that the earlier, this, that's the, 
earlier part of the conversation that Sam is is finishing up here. Um, so yes, the word eye-opener was used by Bilbo in the context of the conversation in which Pippin was feeling uh, upset because he had been left out. He had been left out of the council, and these things had happened that he, you know, these momentous things had happened that he wasn't part of, and then he feels like he's going to get left out of the trip, right? Um, but, um, uh, but he, um, here, Sam is just as he was, remember the comfort he was giving to Pippin before, um, as Sam was saying that his, his, you know, his, uh, his heart was right down in his shoes too. Um, but that there are some stout folks with him and, uh, whatever lies in store for old Gandalf, he wagers it wasn't in a wolf's belly. Um, This is Sam has a sense, in other words. Notice again, thinking back to that earlier conversation, Pippin is thinking about himself. He's thinking about himself and his own inadequacy, his own inadequacy as a participant in this story. Like he knows his family history, he knows his, the, he's heard the stories of the great warrior Bullroarer took ever since he was a. A, 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 a wee hobbit lad, right? Um, and is feeling very inadequate now that he's being confronted um, by wild wolves like the wolves that, you know, crossed the frozen brandywine, um, you know, in Pippin's grandfather's time. Um, Sam is thinking of stories too, but he's not thinking of his family history. He's thinking of the stories that he's heard from old Mr. Bilbo. Right, he, um, both Bilbo's own stories of his own adventure, as well as all those stories of the first age that Bilbo is going to so thoughtfully compile later on in his career. Um, those are the kind of stories that Sam is thinking, and those those stories give Sam encouragement. Right, um, he may confess later on, Sam will, that he doesn't really know what kind of story they've landed themselves in, but he knows even now that he's in a story. He knows. The general, he doesn't know how their story is going to end, right? Which is what he's referring to with Frodo at the stairs of Kirith Ungol. But he knows what genre it is, right? And um, the genre is heroic adventure, right? Um, so he reckons there's some heroic adventure that's going to come. Um, this is the thing that. Uh, this is the story that Pippin has volunteered for. This is the, the kind of story that Pippin didn't want to miss out on, right? Um, that was an eye-opener, and no mistake. Um, because, yes, an eye-opener, as you can see from its earlier usage, everybody had an eye-opener. That doesn't mean no trees were set fire to in the Council of Elrond, so far as we're told, right? An eye-opener isn't just something amazing, it isn't just something surprising. It's something, it's like um, startling information that you learn that makes you open your eyes wide, right? That's what Bilbo means when he says everybody had an eye-opener. Everybody heard something 
that made them open their eyes and, uh, you know, be surprised. Right. Yes. Everyone received a revelation. Carrie, that's right. Um, was the, uh, um, that was an eye opener and no mistake. Right. It doesn't just mean, well, that was surprising. Um, but that was a revelation, wasn't it? Um, I think we all learned something here, Mr. Pippin, <laughs> today, don't you? Right? Um, that's the sense in which it was an eye-opener, right? That'll make you pay attention. Um, they saw Gandalf cut loose, right? They'd seen both of them, Pippin and Sam both, will remember Mr. Bilbo's fireworks display at the party, right, that Gandalf did. Um, they've seen Gandalf do that. They've never seen something like this. Um, in that sense, yes, it's enlightening. Exactly. It's enlightening. Um, and of course, that's what we see uh, somebody was talking about this way, way earlier on uh, in the class, but it is very true that all of that imagery in the first paragraph um, is about the light, right? The dazzling light. Um, even the darkness and dimness after the fire is over, during the Requiem for the Trees paragraph, um, still emphasizes the the, the passing of the light, right? Um, nearly singed the hair off my head. Um, yes. Probably an exaggeration, but probably doesn't feel that much like one. I don't know how many of you have ever been, you know, have ever stood near, you know, within a few feet of a booming flame, right? A, a large and sudden burst of flame. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I think I can understand his, uh, his sentiment here. Um, his hair probably didn't actually almost catch fire, but I can sure believe that he, uh, um, that he felt like it might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um. Um, okay. Sorry, I'm just thinking for a second. Why does he end with that note? The sense of... I think that that last sentence nearly singed the hair off my head is a particular kind of expression of um, a particular kind of expression of awe that he is using that as a way to convey the result of the eye-opener he's just had. You know, if he's had an eye-opener, if he's had a revelation, if this thing was a revelation, what did it reveal? Right? Um... And it reveals that 
Gandalf. Gandalf is dangerous. Right? I mean, Gandalf is even just standing near that. He could feel it. He could feel the heat. He could feel the power of that. Um, and again, it's so near to him, so strongly that it almost uh, it almost hurt him. Right? It almost singed the hair off his head. Which, by the way, also seems like a little sympathetic expression with the trees. By the way, he, he almost um, sacrificed just like the trees did. Um, he does not, his hair did not burst into um, a, uh, a crown of dazzling light like, for, like with the hill. But, um, um, but anyway, yes, the um, uh, yes, I think um, there's a it's a comical statement of Gandalf's of, of his respect for Gandalf's power, right? Um, he begins with the I told you so, right? Um, but he ends with like, but um, yeah, so I predicted that, but whoa, <laughs> right? On the one hand, I predicted that. On the other hand, I did not see that coming, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Kurtzimus, I too was thinking of Gandalf's discussion with Gimli later on about being dangerous, right? Um, uh, Sam and Pippin are beset by dangers, uh, as Gandalf will later say to Gimli, right? Um, yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Faramirian thinking of the same passage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Kendall, you're right. Singed hair is what you get if you meddle in the, affair of, in the, in the affairs of wizards, right? Um, it's also, um, you could say, with Sam, in Sam's case, what happens if you get mixed up in the affairs of your betters, right? As his uh, father foreboded. Um, you know, you, um, you end up standing pretty close to uh, apocaly apocalyptic fire bursts. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Oh, it's getting late now. Sorry about that. Um, got a little distracted tonight, unlike usual, but okay. Thanks everybody. Um, we will, uh, uh, we will continue on next week. Next week, we're finally going to get around, uh, to the passage where we learn more. Um, uh, not that we're told more, but that we learn more about these wolves. So we'll talk more about the identity of the wolves next time. Um, all right, it's field trip time. We're going to do a special field trip tonight, I believe. We were uh, uh, talking before that we have a, instead of just continuing on our, on our normal field trip, um, uh, our normal explorations that we've been pursuing, we're going uh, gonna, to we're gonna try some other things here. Um, there's a special, uh, a special occasion here this evening. Um, because of the season, it is, it is, it is, uh, in the, uh, seasonal area of Durin's day. So we're going to go to, um, um, since it's Durin's day, we're going to, we're going to go to, um, the gray stone, see if we can find the thrush and see what's happening on the slopes of Erebor today. Very nice.
and first the adventure Good to evening, get there. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Oh, How sorry. are you, Valerian? Doing all right. So, okay, yeah. So travel is the first thing, JJ. So I think we're going to... Um, so we're here in Bree. Well, I'm coming back into Bree here in just a second. Um, I'll be I'll be right there. Um, let's um, yeah. So let's let's find a good way to head there. We can we can do some summoning and stuff if we need to, but it'll be um, uh, it'll be better I think if we can find a good way to get out there. Um, there, there's a couple of different ways to get there. I'm going to head there to be able to summon people. Oh, uh, what's your alt? I'm Phoenixa, the sparkly okay, chappy. Did I get you? All right. Did he I did. already add you? To the... Okay, good. Yep. Okay. Is there a is there a stable master route we can go? I don't know anything about um, what missions stables. That's for any character at level twenty and above. There are special stables that'll take you straight to Erebor, safely. Okay. So that gets around the whole low-level thing until they step outside the doors of Erebor. Okay. But everybody except Wolfren is high enough level that they're either not going to get attacked at all, or they just have to run past things. Do we have, do. do we have to qualify in any way to use these stables? Just be level twenty or higher. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I think I think we all. You I have think to we discover that, them, so. though. You have to what? You have to discover them, though. Where is where where is they where where is they yes uh, the easiest one to discover is at Thorin's Gate. Thorin's Gate, huh? Thorin's Gate, yes. Oh wait, there's one in the. There's one in Bree. Rowan's yes. Yeah, Bree has most places, I believe. Okay. Oh yeah, there is one in the Dwarf right. Quarter. So let's follow Rowan. Rowan, why don't you lead the way? Belinda. Lead the way, Rowan. We'll get we'll get there. All right. Well, well, Belinda's awesome. See. I went trick or treating in her neighborhood last night. Let's see what we can find. Oh uh, yeah. Let me think of it. I think. Yep, over this way, right? It's funny. I almost I never my... go up the stairs on that side of the room. I always go to the other side. Neither do I. So I wonder I recently moved uh, my house into another neighborhood just based on trick or treating. So. Yep. Because of a recent update to housing, you can have all of the trick or treat doormats uh, in places other than doormat hooks and inside. So. Oh. You must rip in Delta's bridge. You wait, you must? Yes, come down here. Oh, okay. Into the alley. Yeah, you can just jump off the... the it thing. only hurts for a few minutes. Which way are we Which way are we going down now? We're going yeah. south, yes. To, there's a stable master right okay. down here so with the blue horsey. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, I okay. do consider ourselves uh, lucky that we did not end up uh, debating the range of Sting's accuracy. Oh, talking yeah, about we'll get glowing swords, I have a feeling. Yeah, I have a feeling that's coming. Yeah. So you want to choose Akraz Zahar Erebor for your swift travel option. Okay, so this Zahar. mission recruiter dude. Yes. Yep. Akraz, Akraz Zahar Erebor. Yeah. Okay. So he'll take you to Erebor Gundabad. West Alley in the North Downs? West Alley of what? Trestlebridge. Gotcha. No, and no, no. Elderslade? Oh, yeah. right. The, the War Room. I remember that. Okay. Yep. Right. I remember that. Stuck in a closet of some sort here. 
Let me just go right out the door that's right here. Right. Oh, look, oh, there's a uh, row of pegs for hoods. There we go. Yep. There's no detachable. A scenario special in there as well. Okay, so we... Where do we go? Then outside. What is this, an auction room? It is actually where the goats hang out. The goats? Yeah, there's goats down here in the main floor. This is not a you goat know, like dining room. Well, that's where the goat stables are. But we, we're goat's, heading out. A goat stable is a goat dining room. Maybe mm. it is a goat dining room. <laughs> okay, hang on a second. Where are we going? Okay. To the standing stone where the thrush okay. Did you come out of the room? Oh, you have to go through the door? Yeah, yes. you have to go through the door. Okay. Okay. Valori, could you get green stand? Uh, uh yeah, I'll reinvite him. Okay, great. All right. So where are we? We are okay. Auction alt death. All right, mission recruiter. Okay. Oops. Oops. What? Well, My game just crashed. I just oh, don't know. I think oh, I no. did. You're the one who knows where everything is. That's okay. It'll be an adventure. All okay. right. So. We're we're headed out vaguely yep. out. You're okay. gonna head to the east into a long hallway, and then you're gonna bang our right to head south. Right. Okay. Okay. So we're going around that. Okay. Vague memories of this when from last year's marathon when Wigan did the oh, yeah. all those Durin quests. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, then we're going out to the Dale Lands? Yes, you are. Yep. Okay. So, this would be, these would be the main gates that, these would be the gates that Smaug came through, yeah? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The gates you saw a long time ago in the distance in the Bells of Dale instance. And right. we couldn't go there at the time, and we were all sad about yeah, this. Yeah, this this is all new. I have not seen this before. Oh my goodness. Okay. And I'll catch you up once I get back in and outside. Whoa, crazy thunder and lightning out there. Okay, so we're out here. All right. So we're now... not gonna go take you to see Disc. She's awesome. Uh, I think. So we have to go like around Raven Hill? Is that where we're going? No, you're going to actually follow the shoulder of the mountain to the to the east. Yeah, to the east. That's what it is. Okay, yeah, so that part up and I, I will lead the way. Come out, I, yeah, I think I recognize this part here. Left. Uh-huh. And we're going to... And it's... Right? It's like a little... Yeah, it's like a little track up here. You're going to go the other way. Well, you guys went right. You need to go to oh, the okay. west. Did okay. I say oh. east? My bad. Yeah, you said east. That's yeah. Okay. I'm yeah, so sorry. East. My fault. No worries. No worries. Okay. So we're going out around this way. Fortunately, most of us already know where we're going. That means that somewhere... Yeah, I'm sorry. I went by recognizing, uh -oh. not by... Look, there's the moose direction. taking people out. Yep. Yep. Well... Yeah, they do that. 
Well, we only had one low-level person who was in any danger. Everybody else would have been okay. Yeah. Kind of got a ride like the wind there. Okay, so hang on. What I'm trying to think of here. Somewhere around here, then, would have been where Bilbo and Balin scouted around, saw the yeah. smoking entrance to the Misty Mountains, and looked down onto the desolate Valley of Dale. There's yes. actually a deed about that. So that's that's got to be somewhere right around here, right? Yeah. Um, it's closer to Ravenhill. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's see. So this. I see where we're headed right. There's the uh, the yep. the valley on the west side of the mountain where the finger mm -hmm. was pointing. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. So I am now officially in the lead. There's a lorry running right past me. That's sorry. Gotcha. Going in the right direction. Must go faster. Okay, so Must we go, go up the slope here. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I am lagging. Come on. <laughs> I wonder, are this we going to This is ten times more terrifying if you're lagging. Are we going to find the... Uh... This way... There okay. should be a yeah stick with a red flag on it. Yeah. Like a slalom course. I see it. I just want to look down in the valley here. Okay, there's the valley. Be careful you don't eat yourself into the valley. No. It's not no. A, yeah, this is not a tra la la valley. I'm not doing that. Oh, look, this deer is deeply confused. Look how confused this deer is. It's got all these question marks Thanks over it. It's seriously doubting its existence here. Existential yeah. quandary. Yeah, well, if you get past it, it'll... it'll he's in a serious quandary, that deer. Once we're all far enough high up the pathway, they'll stop bothering us. I wonder if we'll see where the uh, dwarves' base camp was. You know, that Balin and... Or, sorry, not Balin. That uh, Bomber and uh, Bofer, wasn't it? Um had to get hauled up from when the dragon was attacking. I love the mist along the ground here. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Oh, yeah, you can see the moon right there. Oh, man, it's like Indiana Jones. Oh, there's the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Moon. La -da, da 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 Oh, the last rays of the sun. Yep. Oh. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> this is honestly one of my favorite skyboxes in the game. It's probably second only to the one for with me because it's spooky Halloweeny. But you can get the sun are shining on the keyhole. Mm-hmm. The keyhole obviously isn't there anymore. Right. And is that the thrush? There it is. There's the thrush. 
You came closer. Well, you have the thing that popped up the quest right there. Right. When hope was lowest, a red ray of the sun fell on the smooth rock face. You stand at Erebor's secret entrance on the very hour of Durin's day that Bilbo Baggins and Thorin's company did long ago. The secret has long been removed, but of late, a seemingly plain slab of stone has been placed before it. Step forward and see what becomes of it when the dying sun lights its face. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Whoa, Nelly. You have to click on it. Ah, and then runes appear. Oh, nice. So they have like sun runes, right? Sun letters. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Durance Day sun letters. Oh, wow. Man, you got to read those fast. My Kutzel is rusty. And so are I'm... my Elder Futhark runes. <laughs> and if you have the sound turned on, you can hear the thrush knocking on the stone. <laughs> cool. It a boy. Oh. The thrush is, like, quite unperturbed here. I'm surprised there aren't more snails around, though. Like, wasn't that why he was knocking in the first place? Yes. Yes, he's knocking all the, the abundance of, all the abundance of icky snails. That's very cool. You know, I'm glad they didn't do, you know, that thing where there's like a rock with a hole in it, you know, that focuses the, mm -hmm. the sun. You know, like Indiana Jones. Right, exactly. They didn't make it, they didn't go full Raiders of the Lost Ark with it. Because if I'm remembering, that's more or less how they did it in the Peter Jackson films, right? I think so. But they also oh. had the like the the sun dip below the horizon or below a cloud, and they thought, "Oh no!" Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I like that's a bit of that's a bit of realism there. I appreciate the whole. Oh no, it's a cloudy day during the eclipse. Right. Exactly. So if you complete the quest, which is kind of difficult with everybody doing it at once, um, you will earn yourself a title, which you just did. Okay, wait, it says, uh, all right, um, here on Durin's Day, right, unlocked the door. Thorin the second, Oakenshield, King of the Longbeard, Son of Thran, Son of Thror, unlocked this door. Okay. So I got a title? You get a title. Mm-hmm. Observer of Duren's Day. There we go. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And if you Very... do it next year, you'll get another title. And if you do it for a third year, you get a third title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you do it any subsequent year after that, you, in your level 50 or higher, you get legendary experience for the um, Elario track. Cool. Ooh. I do appreciate them doing that. Oh yeah, I got the second one, which was Witness of the Sun and Moon. Neat. Yep, and the third one is um, 
Uh, who has heard the thrush knock? Who has heard the thrush's knock, yes. Ask mm-hmm. not who has the thrush knocks for. <laughs> right. The thrush knocks for thee. Mm. Eh, not quite as menacing. So, one of the fun things is if you've ground enough reputation with the dwarves of Erebor, you can buy this skybox for your premium housing. Ooh. The same carving? Like, like does it does no, it light up with the runes? No no no, not not the not the stone, the sky. Oh the sky with the, moon, with the sunset, yeah. Yeah, you can buy weather systems. Yeah. Oh. Wow. So let's say you want to put, you know, Rohan skies in um, Belfast. You can do that. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a happy uh, midsummer wedding sky. Wow. And now you can get snow for when it's uh, Christmas time. You can feel all seasonal. Right. It won't. That's intense. Just like Virginia, it won't stick. <laughs> This is a beautiful view. It is so gorgeous. And when this was in testing on Bullroar, the developer had a whole bunch of people up here testing it, and she used the admin jetpack to yeet us off into the valley before that valley was available to visit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know it is a beautiful moon. Being able to see the full moon there. Like the entire moon, I mean. It's just so fun to see this illustrated in this living sort of monument to the book. Yeah. Yeah, oh, when it became publicly known that they had access to the Hobbit material, um, they basically put in two different Ds that you go to the various places, like up on the tree where Bilbo saw the butterflies, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole path of Thorin's journey. Yes. And much like the two Star Wars trilogies, the first two Star Wars trilogies, not the third one, um, you do the the Elder one second and the, the prequel one first. It's very weird. Or the other way around. Cool. Cool. Excellent. All right. Well, I should let folks go. It's uh, We started late, and it's even later now. But um, thanks for this. <laughs> so this was special Duran's Day uh you know, field trip today to celebrate the occasion. That's just nice to see the beam. The colors seem washed out on your screen. Because when I look at it, the colors are so rich and vibrant. Oh. I don't know why that is. Just lost the beam, didn't it? Well, if you move a little bit, it'll come back. And we'll yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right. JJ um, Abrams would be so proud of those uh, lens flares. Lens flares, yeah. <laughs> all right well thanks everybody for joining us uh we'll go back to swan fleet to continue our explorations there next week um but in the meantime uh have a good week everybody and a good evening and we'll see you guys next time happy Day. that's right bye now bye